Bring It On is a public affairs program exploring the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American communities in South Central Indiana and beyond. Bring It On is a forum for the people, by the people, produced by an independent team of volunteers working at the studios of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana, and financially supported by listeners like you. Good evening, I'm William Hosea, and welcome to Bring It On, a multiple award-winning radio broadcast in our 16th year as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting the African-American community. Uh, Good evening, I'm Robert Scott. Dr. Charles Nelms penned a timely commentary in diverse, diverse issues in higher education. The article was entitled, why I plan to take the COVID vaccine and you should too. The article represents one man's passion or passionate appeal to his African-American brothers and sisters to immediately take one of the available COVID-19 vaccines as soon as it was offered. In explaining the hesitancy of members within our black community to getting vaccinated, he cited the disparities of virus contraction and death in the African-American community compared to other communities and as he attributes the deceptive practices of misinformation, disinformation, and downright lying by researchers and government officials in bygone years. In making the case for receiving the vaccinations, he stated that I trust the science behind the vaccine and the scientists who created it. Also, Dr. Kiz Makia Corbett, an African-American immunologist is a leading scientist on the team at the front lines of studying the Moderna vaccine. Once again, the Bring It On staff hosting the second part of a frank discussion on the impact that the COVID-19 virus and the emerging vaccine treatments are having on men and women within the black community. Tonight, we focus on black men. Joining us is one African-American, excuse me, two African-American men who represent both healthcare and academe. With us tonight, we have Dr. Arnold Henry, who is board certified in family medicine and fellowship trained in sports medicine. We also have the writer of why I plan to take the COVID vaccine and you should too, Dr. Charlie Nelms, Chancellor Emeritus of North Carolina Central University. He's the author of From Cotton Fields to University Leadership, All Eyes on Charlie, a memoir. Gentlemen, welcome to Bring It On. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Thank you. I'm delighted to be with you. So, Dr. Nelms, if you don't mind uh, starting this off, I read your article about why Black men should take the vaccine, uh, and Black people in general. And some of the things that really uh, stood out to me was the reasons that you listed, uh, you talked about trusting the vaccine, you talked about Dr. Uh, Kizmekia Corbett, uh, the disproportionate uh, effect on Blacks, and and the, the last reason you gave was kind of down to earth where you said you just want to live. But aside from those things that you pointed out in the article, um, do you want to start off just may- maybe delving into those a little bit, or, or are there any other Uh, reasons that you can give for why we should take this vaccine? You know, I can't think of a more important, more profound reason uh, for doing so than living ourselves, okay, 
secondly, protecting the communities of which we are a part, including our family members, our relatives, and people who are part of our network, okay? And if those aren't enough reasons why we should take it, I'm not sure if there's anything more I can really say. Protecting our own selves and protecting those, uh, the persons of whom we, uh, we call our network, okay? So I think that's really, really important. Now, I understand the skepticism. I really do. And I think something would be uh, amiss if we weren't skeptical, okay? Uh, but I don't think that our skepticism should lead to paranoia. Um, uh, and we can't go back and undo what happened with the syphilis studies. We can't go back and undo what happened uh, uh, with, with the Henrietta Lacks, okay? So we try to learn from that and, and, and we go forward. Uh, but I think we have an opportunity and an obligation to really uh, be purveyors of hope for people who make up uh, communities of color, but especially African-American communities. Also uh, joining us tonight is Dr. Arnold Henry from Indiana University Health uh, Indianapolis branch. Dr. Henry, do you want to comment on that? Uh, yes. Um, so uh, just like Dr. Nelms indicated, I definitely understand the hesitancy. I mean, as a black male, um, as a physician, as a family man, I also felt hesitant. Um, I grew up in a very underserved community um, where I felt like I was not treated right. Um, as a member of society, and even growing up as a young boy, even to now, um, I feel like there's times where I'm not treated right. So I didn't necessarily trust the government either. Um, but at the same time, I have to consider my risk and my benefits. Um, and that's why I try and tell my patients, look at your risk versus your benefits, um, particularly older adults, people who are immunocompromised, people with secondary medical conditions, they are at higher risk. So, um, one thing is, I actually did not take the vaccine initially because I did want to see what was going on. Um, people say just because you're a physician, um, that makes that means you need to take it. But those people are not in charge of my health. Um, so I still wanted to sit back and see what the side effects were, were. But at the same time, I still had to be responsible and take the necessary precautions, one, not to get the uh, not to get uh, COVID-19, but two, if I was to get it, to get tested, and three, if um, it tested positive, um, to um, take the necessary precautions. And so I did that, and I uh, stepped back. I knew my research. I stayed educated. And when I felt safe, I did get the vaccination. Um, and um, obviously, I feel fine, and I think the vaccination is fine, but I had to feel comfortable with myself, which I think is the situation with most um, Black families. And if I may just add one thing, I, I, I understand and I agree with you wholeheartedly, Doctor. One of the things that was an added kind of incentive for me was the fact that I lost a sibling, okay, mm -hmm. to COVID. And so that was very, very close to home, okay? And, and even since the loss of that sibling, I've lost an aunt, I've lost a cousin, uh, three very close friends, and, um, and just last week, one of my sisters, uh, ended up being diagnosed with COVID and the symptoms were mild and she completed the quarantine and all of that. So this stuff is very, very close to home uh, for me. And so that was also uh, a part of the, my, my reasoning as well. And then finally I said, you know, if white folk are willing to take it, I'm gonna take it too. 
Okay, because if it were that dangerous, okay, <laughs> I'm not sure they'd be lining up and coming in from, you know, upscale neighborhoods and that kind of thing to cheat to get the front of the line if they were getting something that was going to kill them. Now, I know that may sound a little, uh, a little uh, off, off the wall, but, uh, but again, it, it, it did not, it did not, I did not uh, take lightly the fact that they were willing to take it as well. That is the vaccine. So, if I might. When, when folks are uh, hesitant, you know, we've heard all kinds of reasons for it. You know, you've got myths that vilify, you've got uh, a lack of education that about the science. And I've got two worldly gentlemen here, both very educated, both who just stated you yourselves were both hesitant and or thought, had second thoughts about taking it. How do we, how do we educate uh, or encourage the black community, black, brown, and other uh, disenfranchised? How do, how do you guys think we um, encourage them to go get that shot to protect, as we know, themselves and those that they're around? And either, uh, Dr. Um, I'm sorry, I forgot your name again, sir. Oh, Henry, yes. Um, great question. And I've had patients to ask me that, and even friends. Um, one thing is, that, like you said, education, education, education. Like, we need to know what are the ingredients to the vaccination. Now, the only active ingredient in the vaccination is um, mRNA, which is um, basically um, a molecule that can convert information um, stored in DNA, and then therefore that triggers an immune response. And so everything else is uh, lipids, salts, and sugar, and uh, which are basically like the preserv preservatives. And so when I did, when I saw that, it did make you feel more safe. Um, now these are, I think, the first vaccinations to come out as an mRNA-based vaccination, um, and that's the Moderna and the Pfizer. Um, Johnson Johnson just got um, their vaccination uh, approved by emergency authorization use, and that's an adenovirus-based. So if so, I tell my patients if they're, and that's a one-dose vaccination. So I tell my patient if they're concerned about a vaccination that, that's uh, newly based as far as mRNA based, then they can go with one that's more traditionally based, which is the, more of the adenovirus based vaccination, which is a one dose vaccine. So one of the main things is just education. Another thing is example. Um, I'm a black male, um, I'm a black male physician and there aren't many out there. Uh, study shows that um, black males is the, um, is the single most uh, or highest disparity as far as um, healthcare providers. And so, which means we're the least represented in healthcare. So I do think I play an important role as being an example. And so I decided that, yes, I feel safe now. I can now be an example as far as the vaccination. And uh, I let my patients know, look, I did wait and I felt safe. <clears throat> yeah. so. And so main thing is education and then example. So I would agree wholeheartedly with Dr. Henry, uh, who's certainly far more expert than I am. I think that one of the things that we really have to do is to be honest with people and share our hesitancy, okay? Because neither of us just sort of walked in and said, here I am, I'm here, give it to me. Give me both doses at once, okay, or whatever. Uh, uh, so to be honest and share with people our hesitancy, that's number one. And number two, that 
we don't get caught up in the jargon of the virus, uh, but rather explain it as simply and as forthrightly as Dr. Henry just did. I mean, that's, I mean, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a physician, but I understood what he was saying. And I think that many people, when you break it down to them the way he just did, okay, I think that they will, they will understand that, okay? And then the third thing is, is this whole notion of example. So when I penned this, this article, I shared it with, I think over last check, last time I checked, over 10,000 people had read that, okay? And I've gotten responses from people saying, Charlie, you, even my own relatives, saying, you know, it really, really helped me because you made some points that I hadn't even thought about before, okay? And so while I still have some hesitancy, I trust what you're saying is a reasonable kind of approach. And so I'm going to avail myself of, of whichever vaccine uh, I'm able to get, okay? Uh, my relative said that to me, friends said that, that to me, college presidents, and these are people who are well-educated, well-degreed, okay? And so through sharing those perspectives and through example, okay, uh, but at the end of the day, it really comes down to education. And in this day and age, with the preponderance of information that's available, there, isn't, there aren't many good reasons for us to say we didn't know, okay? Now we have to be discerning in our, in our uh, we have to be discerning in our use of information because just because it's on a podcast or it's on a blog or whatever, it doesn't make it true, okay? And so as consumers of information, as consumers of news, we have to know how to be discerning and to discern truth from fact, uh, from fiction and all of that kind of thing. And that's where I think we can turn to experts like Dr. Henry to help us to better understand that, or healthcare professionals or researchers to help us to better understand that. Well, Dr. Nelms, I was going to say your article did a very good job of explaining it and uh, kind of putting it down there where the goats can get it. But I, I want to go back to Dr. Henry for a second. You mentioned something about mRNA and adeno-based vaccines. Can you explain what those terms mean? Yes. Um, so we know that a cell is made up of uh, several different substances. And uh, basically, the information is held in DNA and mRNA. Um, mRNA is also known as messenger RNA. And... Um, the molecules contain genetic material that provide instructions for our body on how to make viral protein that triggers an immune response in our bodies. Now, an immune response is basically how our body responds to something foreign. And so um, this is what causes our bodies to make antibodies. And antibodies are needed to protect us from infection if, if exposed to the virus. Um, and then um, adenovirus or adeno-based um, vaccines basically use the capsule of an adenovirus, which is a different type of virus, um, to help. Um, it's kind of, I, I guess, something similar to mRNA. It's when our body notices something foreign and attacks it. And so that's just another way that um, it trains our body to attract, to attack this foreign um, particle. So um, COVID-19 obviously is not naturally expressed in our body. If, um, these, uh, if these vaccines, if we do get the vaccination, now our body sees the COVID-19 um, COVID virus 
and it says, oh, it doesn't belong here. I'm going to attack it. And it gives it the proper uh, weapons, I guess, to attack the virus and get and get it um, and get it um, get it out of our bodies. Yeah. For our listening audience, we're speaking with Dr. Charlie Nelms, Chancellor Emeritus of North Central, excuse me, North Carolina Central University, and Dr. Arnold Henry from IU Health in uh, Indianapolis. I want to ask one more quick question, and then I want to turn it back over to uh, Robert. What have you two, and this is for both of you, what have you been hearing um, from people that you come in contact with? And, and what I mean is, it, is, is there a difference between what you're hearing from the younger generation versus the older generation? Now, last week, we talked to two young doctors from uh, uh, two OBGYN doctors from, from IU. And one of the more amazing things that they said they were hearing uh, from people was, was a fear of chips. Some of the rumors about chips being in, inserted in, in, into bodies with the vaccine. So I just wanted to ask, what are some of the things that, that you're hearing? Uh, yes. <laughs> so there's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. And um, sometimes I have to, and there were a lot of conspiracy theories brought to me asking my opinion. And as far as the validity of the conspiracy theories, um, I mean, I researched it. It's like, what do you know is true? What do you know is not true? Um, the cryptocurrency, and I'm not going to uh, dispel all of them because I don't want to put rumors out there. But um, yeah, even in regards to chips being in one of them. And my response is, okay, if that's what your concern is about that particular vaccine, then get them one of the other ones. Um, the thing is that there are a lot. So some people think that the only vaccines out there in the world are the vaccines that they're given here in the United States. There are multiple countries working on multiple different vaccinations. So it's not one vaccination that, that's uh, being circulated to the entire world. Next thing is, um, if you're concerned about the conspiracy theory about one vaccine, then get the other. There are a lot of different options. Right now, we have three different options. There's the Pfizer, there's the Moderna, and there's the Johnson & Johnson. Some people have hangups about an mRNA vaccination, which would be the Moderna and Pfizer. Then I say, then get the Johnson & Johnson. The thing is with the Johnson and Johnson, it's a one-dose vaccination, and it's only and it's been proven to be seventy-four percent effective. If you're concerned about side effects, then get the one that has um, the least research-based side effects. Um, Moderna and Pfizer has been shown to be ninety-five percent effective. Okay, um, there's been uh, I got the Moderna, uh, and Moderna is, is the more popular one, but you get them four weeks apart. Um, the Pfizer. Um, is very popular also. You get that three weeks apart. So you can be fully vaccinated sooner. So my thing, or the thing I tell my friends, my associates, my patients, my coworkers, if you're concerned about um, the conspiracy theory with one, then look at the other two options, you know, because there are options out there. Yeah. So so I, I've heard things like impotence, it causes impotence, it causes infertility, uh, this is uh, uh, an approach on the part of the white man to kill off black folk. Um, <laughs> that's one of the ones I've heard uh, more often than, I'm, than I'd even like to admit. Uh, and these theories tend not to be centered in any particular age group, okay? 
I was on a on a, on, a, on a, in a board meeting today, and a Caucasian man of my generation, uh, well educated, very wealthy man, uh, he said that he wasn't going to get the back. He wasn't going to take the vaccine. He was going to see how things worked out. Okay, and and if he were to get it, he said uh, late this uh, in the middle of the summer. He would he would uh, he would focus on the uh, on the uh, on the J and J, but I think Dr. Henry makes a very good point about doing your research and not. So let me say this to you: In my research, I have found that vaccines to be some of the greatest discoveries on Earth. Just think about polio. Now, you all, when I was coming along, polio was really a big thing, and I remember getting that that uh, that that vaccine in a sugar cube. Okay, they gave us. They came to our school and they gave us right. a sugar cube. And some of you may be old enough to remember that. Okay, but if you think about, if you think about the polio vaccine, if you think about the measles, if you think about the whooping cough, we call it whooping cough. The whooping cough. I don't know what they call it. What, what's the name of it, Doctor Henry? The whooping cough or whooping cough? Yes, sir. It's whooping cough. You got it. Cough. Okay, but down south we call it whooping cough. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Um, uh, so when you think about the pneumonia, when you think about shingles, when you think about, I mean, there are, there are literally thousands of vaccines out there that really reveal ourselves up and we prevent pandemics. The flu vaccine is a perfect example that's something that we get every year that we don't do much. And some of us, most of us, many of us don't do a lot of uh, thinking about it. We just sort of do it because we see it as a kind of protection. And so... I think if we can point to some really concrete, positive examples of how the health of the world has been positively impacted through the use of vaccines, I think that helps to allay some of the fears. But for many people, I'm not sure that you'll ever be able to completely allay those fears. But one of the things that I would say is, I think it's really important for those who are, who are administering the vaccination to do so in communities and in locations where there's a high degree of hesitancy, okay? And that people like us on this call, okay? That we are there uh, uh, in public. And that's one of the reasons why I was so happy to, uh, to publicly get a vaccination with President McRobbie and that kind of thing, to just to convey to people that I have confidence in, okay? And there are a lot of people who don't know me, don't believe me perhaps, but there are many people who do know me and believe me and have confidence in it as well. Yeah, I actually, so like um, Dr. Nelms was saying, um, just uh, vaccinations in, in general, I feel like are a great thing. I mean, look at, um, throughout history, we can see where there were, uh, the, the last pandemic obviously was the flu pandemic, but there were also epidemics. And with, with the help of vaccinations and obviously precautions, um, we were able to get over those uh, epidemics. The flu, I, like when I when I first got to med school, the only vaccinations I had gotten were the ones that I was a, that I got when I was a kid. And uh, you're a kid, you do what your parent tells you to do, so you get them. Um, when I got to med school, I was told I had to take a flu vaccination, um, or else I had to wear a mask wherever I went. And <laughs> I was against it, but I knew I wasn't wearing the mask, so I was looking at the discomfort versus the fear. And uh, now I'm used to getting a flu vaccination. I get one every year. I've been getting it since uh, 2003. <laughs> so, and now it just seems like a regular thing and I feel fine. And obviously 
nothing negative has come of it. So um, experience, you know, um, sharing our experiences and then other people sharing their experiences. And I think is, is key to kind of getting over these misconceptions and these conspiracy theories. Um, I think that's important. I think that uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of the thoughts that, that people are having are driven by statistics as well, and we all know statistics uh, are are provided by the person. How do, how do I want to say it? Statistics are driven by the person who wants a specific uh, idea to get out to come out of it. So if all these statistics about how many in the black community and brown community versus those in the white community uh, aren't trusted. How do we get? How do we get the you know the population to one believe in that, and two, how do we get Pat? I listened to you, uh, uh, Doctor Henry, and you you use the mRNA, the lipids, but if I'm grandma sitting in the living room with you know kids that I raised, they're, they're in their 30s and 40s, and I raised them a certain way. Nobody understands that. So how do we get to a place where we're not, where we can dumb it, I shouldn't say dumb it down. How, how do we get to a place where we can present the information on a regular people level? What has to be done in order for that to happen? Uh, one thing I think that um, we need to let other people know that I, we're, that we understand where they're coming from. And we're not, I don't, like one thing I tell my patients is, look, I was scared also. And be prior to the vaccination, I let them know. I didn't, I let them know I had not gotten the vaccination. I don't want to present to, some people see doctors as this higher level person that's just above any and everything, never gets sick, everything like that. And so I think that's one misconception people have. One thing I tell my patients, particularly if they cough in front of me, cover your mouth, I can get sick too. And the reason I may not get sick as often is because I take the necessary precautions. So I don't try to present myself as a super being and particularly to my older patients who aren't even used to seeing black, who may not be used to seeing black physicians growing up. And now they're seeing more black physicians um, so, I, so one thing I tell them is, look, I was scared also, and I had reservations also. And um, your fears and your, um, your hesitancies are very well-based. You know, I think when we put people down as far as the validity of their, um, of their fears and what they're scared about, I think right already right then and there, they just kind of, the hearing cuts out. You know, you don't believe me. You don't trust me. I can't listen to you. You're just listening to um, what people say as an excuse. You're just listening to the white man. So I let them know, no, I have those fears also. But at the same time, I did my research. I did my research. And right then and there, they, they, they can relate. They said, oh, he's scared. But he got educated. He, has it, he hesitated. But now he got it. He's just like me. Or she's just like me. And so... Um, that's one way I try to relate to my patients to kind of let them know, look, it's fine to believe that. It's fine to have those fears. I did too. And now look at me. I got over those fears and I'm doing well. So, so I, let me step back and say this. I think that one of the, one of the lessons I hope from the COVID um, um, pandemic, one of the lessons that I hope we take away as a community of color generally, but Black people more specifically, 
is that we learn to ask questions. Mm -hmm. Okay, we learn to ask questions and that we expect to receive answers. Okay, that physicians and nurses and healthcare workers are not little gods with a capital, with a small g. I mean, they really aren't. They're people, as Dr. Henry said, people just like everybody else. So there are two pieces, I think, that are first, are part of that first rung of education. And it's called reliable and relevant information. Reliable and relevant information are the first rungs of an education initiative. Okay. And if you don't take time to share information with people that is relevant and responsive to their hesitancy, their concerns, their fears, okay, then you're not going to be able, I don't believe, to have a sustainable educational kind of campaign such that people will become better consumers of health information and of the healthcare system itself, okay? So one of the takeaways, one of the things that I hope we take from the pandemic is that we need to be better, we need to be more comfortable with asking questions and expecting answers. Whether we have a degree or whether it's my grandmother who had a third grade education, okay? And, and so we have to hold healthcare workers accountable for doing that. And then the other example in terms of how you deal with it, I think, is through example. We can talk until we fall over. Dr. Henry can talk until he falls over. But when he can say through example, when he can show through that example, I can show through my example, the pastor of my church can show through his example, et cetera. The teacher, the principal can show through her example. Then I think we have that education, we have the information being reliable and relevant and responsive, and the example being something that people can see. Dr. Nelms, I'm glad you mentioned that, setting the example. So both of you, are setting the example. Um, Dr. Henry as a medical professional, uh, Dr. Nelms as, as an educator and author. How does it make you feel just when we begin to see the needle start to move and then you have Texas, Mississippi, just say to hell with the masks and any other uh, precautions. We're going back to uh, business as usual. That, how does that make you feel in your efforts to educate the public and convince people to do the right thing so that we can get through this? Wow, yeah, that was very concerning. Um, I don't understand the logic behind it, um, particularly after we've almost gone through a whole year of, uh, of the pandemic. Um, people dying, uh, loads of people dying, and now there's a vaccination. And before everyone has a chance to get the vaccination, just kind of open the flood doors of saying people were going back to normal. Um, it's very concerning, it's very discouraging. And we've already seen, I think in America, we're used to doing things a certain way. We're used to having certain freedoms, which is great. We want to have certain freedoms, we deserve certain freedoms, but at the same time, we're not used to certain liberties being taken away or certain li liberties being suggested of being taken away. And so, um, and then we already see that people are getting anxious to get back out there. So uh, honestly, it just, it makes me a little discouraged. I'm hoping that people will still be smart. And now people have a choice to, um, 
to take certain precautions or to go about things um, the way they were used to before, the way they were used to doing it before. Um, and I just hope they stay with the precautions until it's safe to do to uh, to go out and be a little bit more liberal. So, Dr. Nils. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a good question. And so I am more disappointed than I am discouraged. Let me say it again. I'm more disappointed than I am discouraged. In fact, it reinforces the belief that my small efforts may make a difference in the lives of people who are not as influenced by the politics of the situation. Okay. And so, um, uh, and so that sort of gives, it, it reinforces that if I can just have this, uh, this, just this, like a small dip, okay, with my campaign, uh, I have the opportunity to, to work with the United Negro College Fund with 37 institutions, HBCUs. And HBCUs are places of major trust within Black communities throughout the country, but especially throughout the Southern United States where they're disproportionately located, okay? So to have testing sites, to have vaccination sites, uh, to have those healthcare persons who are affiliated, whether it's with Meharry or Howard, or whether it's uh, A&T's or a nursing program, a North Carolina Central program or whatever, it seems to me that uh, there's an opportunity for us to mobilize an entire network of people, okay? Coming at it from an educational perspective, coming at it from a business and economic uh, uh, perspective, coming at it from a spiritual and an emotional perspective, all of those all those perspectives coming together. So I must say to you, yes, I'm disappointed when I see the behavior of the governors in Texas and and uh, in uh, in Mississippi. But did you know that there are 15 or 16 states without a mask requirement? Now those are the two that we hear about. But there are 15 or 16 states, as I heard on NPR, there are 15 or 16 states without a masking requirement. Okay, and uh, so I'm more concerned about no mask, not having a mask requirement, than I am dying from getting the vaccine. Okay, I'm more fearful of being diagnosed uh, uh, by being exposed to someone else. Uh, but but be that it may, so yeah. I'm disappointed, but I'm not discouraged. I'm even more determined. I'm more fired up, okay? Uh, and when I was thinking about this uh, conversation we'd be having this evening, someone mentioned a quote to me from Desmond Tutu, who said, we may not all be optimists, but we must be prisoners of hope. We may not all be optimists, but we must be prisoners of hope. So I'm a prisoner of hope. I'm a purveyor of hope. That's what I'm trying to do. So economics, <clears throat> uh, especially in the in the black neighborhood where COVID has shut down everything everywhere, not just in the black uh, neighborhoods, but all everywhere. If if we're not moving towards uh, coming out of the masks because we're not getting the vaccines, wh where is the um, where's the hope? I mean, if I'm a black man and I can't work because everything that I can do is closed, how do how do we get to the point where we say, okay, we're gonna have to take take either take the mask off, we're gonna have to uh, find a way that we can go back to to our businesses, 
what what are, what are you what are your thoughts on the economic portion of this? So let me give it. So I think that we sort of pose the question the wrong way when I listen to the talking heads on on the major networks and so on and so forth, and they they posit it as an either or as a as an either or either we wear the mask or we don't wear the mask or we go to work or we don't go to work or whatever as opposed to and. Okay, so I think it's doing both. I really do think that it's doing both, okay? Wearing the mask until we actually achieve a high level of immunity. And people refer to that, some people, as herd immunity, okay? So it may not mean wearing a mask everywhere we go, but certainly I think that there are some essential places where we ought to be wearing masks. I know that there are people who say, you know, double masking. Well, some people have some uh, uh, side effects of double masking, basically being the inability to breathe. But from everything I know, one mask is better than no mask, okay? Wearing a mask when you're in public is better than wearing, not wearing a mask, okay? So I think that we need to think about it as an and kind of proposition. Can we have some of both, okay? But just to say that no mask at all it seems to me is to be one of the most nonsensical and reprehensible positions that anybody can take. Yeah. Dr. Henry, um, so I've had my first shot already. What level of protection should I expect uh, while I'm waiting for that second shot? And uh, should I still be wearing a mask even after the second shot? Uh, yes. Um, great questions. Um, as far as Getting the first shot, which would be either the Pfizer or the Moderna, um, generally that offers about 50% um, immunity um, afterward, after getting that. And that immunity is reached a week after getting that first shot. Um, the Pfizer, like I said, is 21 days apart. The Moderna is 28 days apart. And then after that, you can expect uh, about 95% immunity from both a week after getting the, um, getting the vaccination. Now, in regards to uh, wearing um, PE or protective equipment, that's still important, particularly after the first shot, but even after the second one. Um, because like I said, there is that 5% chance um, by research studies. And again, in the studies, thousands of people had um, received the vaccination, which means 95% out of those thousands of people um, had achieved immunity against the virus. Um, PP, um, wearing protective equipment still would be important afterwards um, in order to combat that and uh, make sure that one, you stay safe, but also that others around you stay safe um, in addition to that. So I, I can still transmit the virus even after my second shot. A person still has a 5% chance of contracting the virus. And if so, yes, then um, yeah, they can definitely transmit the virus afterwards. Although that chance is greatly decreased. It's like saying, um, I don't know, uh, if a bullet, if if uh, if someone shot a gun in the air and there's a bullet that went in the air in in a crowd of people, that bullet is eventually going to fall. And if that crowd of people do not disperse, it's going to hit someone. Now it could be thousands of people in that crowd, but there's still that one unlucky person that'll hit. So same thing with the virus, it's, it's only a 5% chance, but if 
a person takes the vaccination in addition to staying protected, then the chances of not contracting it and then therefore not giving it to someone else is greatly um, increased. So question for uh, both doctors. May I just make one observation here? here here's the reason why. So I've had both, both uh, doses of the Pfizer, okay? And yes, there's a 5% change. But y'all, there's just so much we don't know about this, uh, this COVID virus, okay? And so and that is of the lay person, there's so much I don't know. And so I want to take that added measure of precaution, not only for myself, but for others who, with whom I come in contact. That is really, really important to me. So wearing my mask is as much about others as it is about me. So I want to really be able to protect myself, but I want to be able to protect others because of that 5% piece. And then the other thing is, is what we don't know because we just haven't had enough experience with the, with the COVID virus. Actually, I'm, that, I'm glad Dr. Nelms indicated that because it's true. It, like I said, this is a totally new disease that, well, first of all, it just lets you know, um, well, this is just a totally new disease that people are still researching. So we're very unsure about a lot of things. One thing is we're unsure how long um, the antibodies that the um, vaccine generates, how long those antibodies last, okay? Um, we're unsure, we just realized now that people who had the COVID-19 vaccination and um, who had the COVID-19 disease or the COVID-19 uh, virus, their antibodies, they, they generate antibodies. On average, those antibodies only last six months. People think that they have antibodies for life because they had COVID-19. No, there are people who have gotten COVID-19 more than once. Um, and there are people who, after getting it the first time, had a more severe reaction the second time after getting it. So um, just like Dr. Nelm said, there's a lot of things that are still being researched, still being discovered, and that we still do not know. So um, my dad um, will always say it's better safe than sorry. And um, like Dr. Nilms, um, he's had his experience. My dad, I believe, passed away from COVID-19 last year in February um, before it was announced as a pandemic, but he had all the uh, symptoms. And so, um, yes, it definitely hits close to home. And I think it's very important for us to protect ourselves and also to protect our um, family members. Uh, question for both Dr. Nelms and Dr. Henry. <clears throat> How can we encourage our core institutions, the Black church, the barbershops, and the like, and others to get the word out? For example, uh, T.D. Jakes is hosting a virtual chat. What, what other methods of getting that word out uh, do you guys suggest? You know, so, so there are three places in the Black community in which I have enormous, for which I have enormous respect, and in which I have enormous confidence. One is the black church. I mean, there's no substitute for me when it comes to the black church. And so to see, I think the black church team up, and I'm not talking about denominations now, I'm talking about the faith community, team up with the medical community, okay? To have an ongoing kind of dialogue about issues related to health, not just COVID, okay? I mean, COVID is the thing where it is the big is the big thing now, but around everything from women's health to men's health to aging healthily, uh, um, exercise, diet. I mean, it seems to me that there's an entire curriculum around which we need to be having a conversation. And I believe that that can best occur through a partnership between the faith-based community and the healthcare community. 
The second entity that I have a lot of confidence in is the Black Barbershop. See, I know about the Black Barbershop because they used to shine shoes at the Black Barbershop, okay? And I know the kinds of conversations that occur in that environment. And what we have to do is to mobilize the barbers and the beauticians and those people to be messengers, okay? Purveyors of information. And the third uh, entity around which I have an enormous level of confidence and support, y'all gonna think this is sort of strange when I say it, but it's the Black Funeral Home. The Black Funeral Home, okay? Because the Black Church and the Black Funeral Home and Black healthcare professionals are the people who've had the most profound impact on Black lives if you look at it historically. With that, I'm gonna be quiet. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, actually, um, so I'm a, my dad was a pastor. I'm a church boy. And I was taught that the spiritual and natural work together. And um, before I got my vaccination, uh, my first one, I, uh, I called my pastor and I said, Pastor, uh, because I heard, the, I heard the different theories out there also. And um, as a pastor, um, is there anything that you think would stop me um, from getting the vaccination that for whatever reason, I shouldn't get the vaccination. And, um, he felt clear about it. And, um, and, and honestly, like I said, for some people that wouldn't matter for me, that made me feel much better because I wanted to make sure I wasn't doing anything wrong spiritually because I'm a big church guy. I wanted to make sure I wasn't doing anything wrong again, whether, um, and because I am faith-based in a lot of different things. If, uh, my faith, it, it it gives me comfort. It calms me down. But at the same time, I feel like I could do anything <laughs> if um, if spiritually I'm clear to do it. So, um, yeah, so there's no question after that. So, yeah, the, definitely the black church. But in addition to that, um, a lot of young folks are looking at social media now. And um, you can see even um, in the election with Barack Obama, um, um, he used social media as a big way of communication to the younger population. And I think that um, with the younger population, um, social media has been used, and I think it should continue, uh, be, uh, continue to be used. Um, I think that's a good way of, um, of uh, getting out there, the education about the vaccination. Barbershops, I haven't been to a barbershop in a while, but honestly, that was a, that's actually really uh, enlightening and um, a very good point. Um, because honestly, a lot of conversations, just like, with women, a lot, a lot of conversation takes place at um, when they get their hair done. For the guys, um, yeah, I remember when I did go to the barbershop um, a little over 10 years ago before I lost my hair, um, that, uh, you know, a lot, a, lot of, uh, a lot of controversial topics were discussed. And I learned a lot. And I loved going because it was enjoyable. Sometimes I would go and I didn't even have to get my hair cut. It was just because I wanted some kind of outlet. And um, so, no, I think that really is important, too. You know, listening to you talk about your faith, you sound like a younger version of Dr. Nelms. Oh, yeah. I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll take that as a compliment. Well, that's a compliment in lots of ways. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah. But I wanted to uh, ask our producer, Clarence Boone, if he wants to jump in and uh, throw a question in the remaining time we have left. Um, yes, I, I have one question that has 10 parts. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Uh, first, I, I just want to comment on that last remark about being follically challenged. Uh, for the beauty of radio is you can't see either guest or host. So uh, everyone on here is, is bald and um, either by choice or by, uh, 
my evolution. I don't know. Oh, I'm, anyway. I'm aerodynamic. I'm, aerodynamic. <laughs> uh, I'm low maintenance. Okay. Um, Dr. Nels, yes. I cannot let you come on our show and not comment on the dynamics of an historically black college or university. You were, you are a chancellor emeritus in your days and in, in higher ed academics and uh, both major research one institutions to HBCUs that are prominent. You were at a premier HBCU. The decisions to open a campus, the decisions to allow sports, uh, classrooms to gather, dorm, the dorm experience. And we talked about the disparities in the black community and the white community. Um, that has to be a monumental decision because when they dole out healthcare, sometimes people of color uh, are not the recipients equitably uh, as, as others are. Um, and so from your vantage point, making that call uh, for an HBCU, and that's also an excellent platform to get the word out because HBCUs are very creative in, in how they do what they do. Comment, if you will, with your years of knowledge, uh, just how difficult it, difficult it is to keep both students and staff safe. Wow. Wow, you would, I mean, yeah, so I, I just think safety is, is the most important piece. And the decisions are not simple, one-dimensional. Uh, there's the fiscal piece, there's the education learning piece, uh, just so many moving parts, okay? But I think if you err on the side of safety first, if you err on the side of safety first, and if you err on the side of doing what you think is right, not what's politically expedient, if you think it's the right thing to do, even if you fail, you did it for the right reasons, okay? And, and we can unpack, unbundle that at a future, at a future time. Okay? And I wanna bring you back to do that. Uh, one thing, as I mentioned, because of the, the uh, dynamic, it's a unique di dynamic. So you talk about barbershops, Excellent platform for an HBCU to help engage with the community through barbershops, through the church, through all types of venues. Uh, what I'm really heard about is I see other large institutions across the country doing things, I would say, unadvisedly uh, for the sake of uh, just, just the fiscal side of things. Yes, money is the lifeblood, but at the expense of what? I see like now, the NCAA and the final and, and the tournament, all of it's being held in Indiana. Someone had to think that, are we now like potential super spreader? All these people are gonna be visiting. Um, those type of decisions, that, that, that concerns me. And I just hope that cooler heads are prevailing. And, and I know some decisions are driven by the bottom line, but sometimes you gotta take that out of the equation. And, and that's, that's, that's my comment and question. I, I, I agree with you, um, but again, I don't think it's an either or, okay? I think that you can place some limitations on the number of people. You can place limitations on the degree of interaction. I think there's some precautions you can take, okay? Now, the question is, are we willing to take those precautions? And some people are not if they feel it's gonna affect the bottom line, okay? And that's why doing what is right is really, important to me. I have one final question specifically about the uh, COVID shot, and that's related to the side effects. Now, after I got my first shot, I did something that uh, 
that Dr. Nelms was at, uh, suggesting, I started asking questions. Um, I wanted to know about the side effects. Were there any after this first shot? Were there any after the second shot? I was told that the, the preponderance of the side effects would take place after the second shot. So my question is, um, what kinds of side effects are we looking at after that second shot? Yeah, great question. Um, so we got to understand what uh, what basically the vaccination is. It's, it's almost as if you're tricking the body to think that there's a foreign particle in order to develop antibodies, which is the what fights the disease um, in order to develop antibodies. So um, now, one thing that is a big misconception is that um, the vaccination is actually injected COVID-19 into the body. That is not true. We are not, or people uh, with the vaccination, we are not injecting the virus into the body. Um, this is a dead um, copy of the virus. And so therefore there's no chance of developing COVID-19 through the vaccination. Um, none at all. Um, and so with that being said, um, certain side effects, which uh, most are mild, um, tend to be um, fever, maybe for the first day, um, even, maybe even going to the second day, it might be fever, headache, chills, diarrhea, pretty much as if you had um, like a common cold or a 24-hour cold. Um, these, uh, most, many people do not develop um, any side effects from the vaccination. Some have developed mild, very few have developed moderate, none has developed severe from my research. Um, and so with that, um, the Johnson & Johnson one, like I said, that's just now being rolled out. So I'm not sure the chances of developing any kind of side effects from that. Um, Moderna with the, vet, with the second vaccination, um, the side effects tend to be a little bit uh, more pronounced as with the Pfizer. Okay, and uh, I think that just about answers my question, but um, we're just about out of time. So I wanna ask each one of you, if you could maybe just take one minute and give us any uh, parting thoughts real quick. We'll start off with Dr. Nelms. Well, I would just say to you, I'm optimistic, okay? Uh, uh, so uh, I'm optimistic about the future, I'm optimistic about life, and I would encourage people to educate themselves and avail themselves of the uh, of the vaccine whenever it's available to them. Yeah, I'm hopeful. Also, um, for um, uh, almost like the first time, we're seeing a decline in the incidence of the disease since the rollout of the vaccination. Um, we're seeing healthcare providers feeling safe, but going back to their families, not feeling like they're going to give uh, the virus to their little kids or to their wife or to their husband. Um, we're seeing um, elderly homes finally having hope about uh, relatives visiting again, for which a lot of these, um, a lot of the elderly in these homes, they need that because they need hope also, they need encouragement. So I am motivated, I am hopeful. Um, at the same time, I also wanna be realistic. With that being said, we still have to be cautious. We still have to be um, diligent in keeping each other safe 
and, and not become lackadaisical and not become lazy. And so um, I think if we, and then we need to encourage each other, particularly in the black community, the black community, we're a family oriented community. I went um, to HBCU, which is a historically black college and university. I went to a PWI, which is a predominantly white institution. There are different environments in both. One thing I learned from my HBCUs is that um, we do tend to be very family oriented and we do uh, tend to be very communal at times. And so um, we need to encourage each other and lift each other up and provide hope and motivation for each other. And I think with that, definitely we'll be able to get through this. Okay. And with that, gentlemen, this is uh, a topic that requires constant updates. Uh, Dr. Nels, we got you on speed dial. So Dr. Henry, I hope we can call on you again in the near future. And on that note, we want to thank both Dr. Arnold Henry and Dr. Charlie Nelms who joined us for part two of our frank discussion on the impact that COVID-19 and vaccine treatments are having on men and women within the Black community. Bring It On has an open submission policy. So if you have any ideas from this program, we would like to hear them. Please send your emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address, once again, bring it on at WFHB.org. So if you have an event or happening the African-American community should know about, please send the info directly to the Bring It On staff. Or if you want additional information about a calendar item or any of our guests that you heard tonight, Contact us at bringiton at wfhb.org. Our show's executive producer is Clarence Boone. Our assistant producer is William Hosea. Our consultant and WFHB News Department director is Cade Young. Program engineer is Chantal LaFontant. Original theme music was created by Jamil Effiam with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Robert Scott. Be sure to tune in next Monday at 6 p.m. for another edition of Bring It On, right here on your community radio station, WFHB. You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana. Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond. Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring It On staff. The email address is bringit at wfhb.org. That's bringit at wfhb.org.